Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Josie Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that God has called you to do. I just want to share my heart. This is going to be a little bit of a different sermon. It won't have three points and a phrase for you to remember. Um, I wrote out a lot of stuff, and I don't know if I will get to all of it, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will release whatever is needed this morning. But when I was about 10 years old, I remember going out with my church family to do some street witnessing, and uh, those were the days, right? Plus, I lived in Europe, so there were actually people on the streets that you could run into and say hi to <laughs> and share about Jesus. And I, I remember I had my little track, and, you know, they were grown-ups too, so. But I went up, and I remember I went up to this older gentleman, and um, I think now, I didn't realize then, but I think he was an alcoholic. You could tell he was just sitting there, and I said, sir, I just want to give you this track, and I just want to tell you that God loves you, and Jesus died for you, and I'm sharing as best as I could the good news about Jesus, and I remember he looks at me, and he goes, if there's a God, and he is good, how come there's so much suffering? And like, I'm 10, <laughs> and I'm like, I do not know that I have the theology to explain, like, I was like, I remember staring at him, and I remember thinking, I don't know what to answer. I don't think I know. And so I said, you know what, sir? I don't know, but I do know that God is real, and I do know that God is good. But I don't know. And he was like, and took his track. <laughs> but that is one of the main questions that I think people have, and that I get all the time ever since then. I was 10, and I knew that God is good, and now I am now, what am I, 47, 48? How old am I? Oh, goodness. I'm 46. I'm 46. <laughs> and I still know that God is good, and I know that God is real. And I still don't know that I have the answer to every question that people come at me with, or why good stuff happens to bad people, or why stuff happens that we cannot explain. But I know for sure that God is good and that God is real. And this morning, I want to talk about those times in our lives when stuff happens, when we don't understand, when life hurts, when something happens to you that you had no control over and that you were not expecting. You know, we all goes through trials, and we're in a battle, and we, you know, we're fighting the good fight, and we're advancing the kingdom, so having some resistance to that, and, you know, punching the devil in the teeth, that just grows our roots deeper, some resistance makes our muscles stronger, spiritually speaking, that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is when something life-altering happens, when you lose a loved one, when... There's an accident that you weren't expecting. And in the middle of all that, you have to come to grips with where is God in this moment? And I just want to share from my heart the things that I have found to be true in my life. Because even though we're a pastor's family, we still have awful things happen while Brad just shared. And a lot of times we have to hold happy things and tragic things at the same time. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but life doesn't just pause because you're going through a difficult time. It's like, you know, Brad's stepmom 
doesn't have much longer to live, but we're expecting a grandbaby. There's life and there's death in the same probably year, unless there's a miracle for her. And sometimes it's hard to come to grips with how all that comes together with the God we see in the Bible and the Jesus who heals everything and Psalm 91 who protects us all the time and nothing shall befall us anywhere we go. It's like, what happened here? And if you have not experienced anything traumatic, I am so glad. And that's amazing. And just take this sermon and tuck it away because sooner or later, the one thing is for sure, and I'm not trying to speak doom or gloom, but we'll all lose our parents eventually. Like unless Jesus tarries, we will experience death of somebody that is near to us sometime while we're here. And so just as a way of navigating that season of grief and what you might be feeling at that time, I just want to share with you from my heart. And I think the church has kind of done a disservice and we often fall into two different ditches when it comes to suffering and when it comes to trials. And um, one part of the church over here, a lot of times is like, everything is always good, it's all victory, and if you're suffering, it's probably because you're not living right or you don't have enough fame, uh, faith. And it kind of leads to shame for people that are going through a hard season. They don't want to be honest because they feel like people will judge them for being for struggling and for going through a season of pain. And if we are to believe that everything should always be perfect and that we will always walk in victory because God has won the victory ultimately, then where does that leave believers that are in Ukraine right now where there is a war or in believers that are being persecuted or believers that are in a nation where there is famine? Like our reality is so good right here. But they don't have any less faith than we do just because their nation is going through turmoil. God still loves them. He still protects them. He's still there for them. He's still present with them. So the problem with that is if we have that type of theology that everything is always going to be amazing, when something tragic happens and life doesn't measure up to our expectations, I have seen this over and over again, that the people with this type of beliefs blame God and they say he can't be real and Christianity can't be true because they didn't live up to what they thought it should be. So they say it didn't work. I don't think God's real. And then there's another part of the body of Christ who somehow it makes them feel better to think that there is a divine plan of suffering for anything that's bad and that suffering actually comes from God and it's part of God's plan because that makes it easier to bear because then somehow there's purpose. But it leaves us defeated and with no power because if Jesus won the victory and defeated death and he has told us to go and do the same things that he did, if we believe that God sends sickness, why would we pray for healing? So people in that position pray more prayers like, God, I pray that you would help me carry this sickness that you have given me and do it with grace and strength. But they don't pray for healing. So where's the miracle working victory of Jesus in that circumstance? It leads to a victim mentality, often anger at God, doubt and defeat. And we don't see or lay hold of anything that Jesus died for us to have. Because we're too afraid to ask for it in case we be disappointed. So we don't advance the kingdom. We just surrender to whatever our circumstances are and we say, well, it must be the will of God. He took my child at an early age. He wanted me to have a miscarriage. Whatever it is, it was God's plan. 
Can I tell you something? God is good. It is not his desire for us to suffer. If you look at the Bible, you see at the beginning of the Word of God, God created Eden, which was an amazing place with no suffering and no sorrow until man fell into sin. But his intended place for us was paradise. And then what did he do? He went to prepare a place for us in heaven where he says there will be no weeping and no sorrow and no pain and no sickness and no death anymore. So that is his plan for us. That is what he created us for. And somehow yet here in the in-between, while we're here on earth, we sometimes experience pain and suffering. And we have these two ditches in the body of Christ, and I just want to share in my experience and in my understanding that the truth is neither. Pain and suffering is not from God, but sometimes here on earth you will experience pain. It's God's design that his will be done on earth which means no pain, no sorrow. So we can always pray that. And we always need to have faith for miracles and fight to lay hold of every promise that is ours and everything that Jesus died for us to give. When troubles come, we fight back. If sickness comes, we pray for a miracle. Until that person is in heaven, we continue to believe and stand on the promises of God. But if heartbreak comes, we grieve with hope, allowing God to comfort us because we believe and trust in him regardless of our circumstances. And we know that the word of God promises that when a seed falls into the ground and dies, it'll still reap a harvest. And that God will bind up broken hearts and that he will work all things together for good and that he will give us beauty for ashes. We have to get to the place where we can say, like Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Other translations say, yet I will trust him. It's in Job 13, 15. It's a complete surrender where it's like, God, I know you're with me. You're all I need. Your presence is all that I need. Because pain and tragedy, although it was never part of God's plan because of free will, because he didn't box us in and make us unable to do evil things or make bad choices, obviously, we can just look around and see there's pain on this earth. And I think it comes, in my understanding, from three places, and it all has to do with free will. It can come, it can be self-inflicted pain. You can find yourself in a tragic mess because of some wrong choices that you made because of your free will. An example of that might be that you are driving under the influence and you have an accident and now you're paralyzed. God didn't do that to you. Nobody else did that to you. It was your choice. Some pain comes from other people because of their free will and their wrong choices and they inflicted pain on you. It was out of your control. It was not your will, but it was their free will. And sometimes I wish that God would just like impose some sort of boundaries on our free will where we couldn't make dumb choices and hurt people. But how would that work? Because the whole point of creation was that he wanted somebody that could freely love him and choose to serve him. Free will is not bad. Free will is how we can choose to love God, how we can choose to love our neighbor, how we can choose to pray, how we can choose to be giving and generous and love people. It's how we choose to make Jesus the Lord of our life. It's what makes us in the image of God. He gave us that free will and it's powerful. And then obviously, 
Bad stuff can happen, pain can happen, tragedy can happen because of the devil. And again, free will back in the garden, Adam and Eve chose to eat of that fruit. And you know, if we had been there, we probably would have done the same thing. So they get a lot of bad rap. But sometime between then and now, somebody would have eaten the fruit. You know what I'm saying? Whether it was Adam or Eve or somebody else, but there was a wrong choice that was made. And the earth was given over, the dominion was given over to the devil. Now Jesus came and defeated the devil. But even in the New Testament, Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. And Paul calls him the God of this world. And the Bible tells us over and over again, and I'm talking New Testament now, post-Jesus, that in everything give thanks, rejoice always, blessed are those who mourn, consider it pure joy when you go through various trials, partake in the suffering of Christ, and so on. There would be no need for those verses if everything was always going to be perfect. Because if you're happy anyway, there's no need to tell you to rejoice because everything is perfect. That's going to happen one day in heaven. But while we're still here on earth, we need to be reminded that no matter of our circumstances, we give thanks and we praise. That's our response. John 16.33 says this. It's Jesus. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you would have peace in this world. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. God does not ever cause our suffering, but he does redeem it. The Bible says that nothing is wasted and only in him and through him is comfort. Like I mentioned earlier, he's the one that can give beauty for ashes and hope instead of despair. And I think the biggest hang-up that I have found myself in my life, and it's the same for most people I talk to, is this big question of why? Why did this happen to me? Why did this person do this? Why did that happen? Why was there a hurricane that killed people? Why was there this? Why was there a miscarriage? Why is there cancer? Why is there whatever the thing is that hurts in your life? We just want to know why. And somehow we think that if we could understand it, and if we could know the reason behind it, it's going to make the pain go away. But it just, knowing why doesn't help. Knowing God is what brings comfort. And the one thing that I just need you to grasp this morning is that your God in your life needs to be bigger than your why. God in my life brought healing to my heart when I realized I trust in Him, not in my understanding. What does the word, word say about peace that passes all understanding. If we're going to find that peace, we have to let go of needing to understand everything and say, God, you're bigger than my why. You're bigger than my questions. It doesn't matter if I understand. I trust you that you're going to carry me through this, that in the end, you're going to bring a victory through this situation. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There is something that just turns the heart of God to those that are mourning. And the Bible says that you're blessed if you're mourning. It's not unbiblical to mourn. It's okay to cry. Jesus cried. But God will comfort you. Knowing why doesn't comfort you, knowing God comforts you. We need him. <laughs> I, I mean, this just laid me. When Bill Johnson preached that message after his wife passed away, many of you have probably listened to that sermon because I know Brad shared about it. But one of the things he said was, God doesn't owe me an explanation. 
I have no right to ask why he doesn't work for me, I work for him. Like he doesn't owe us anything. He was so good that he gave us everything and he wants us to have everything. But our anger towards him is unfounded. But can I tell you something? He's okay with your questions. He's okay with your why. He's even okay with your anger. He's not mad at you. He will still comfort you. But I want to get to the place in my life where I'm not asking him why. I'm just running to him for his presence and for his comfort and for his solution to the problem I'm in and for his miracle and for his turning my ashes into beauty as I hand them to him, whatever that circumstance is. So God can handle your question, but I want to be a person that doesn't really ask. I love this quote by Elizabeth Elliot. For those of you that don't know who she is, they were missionaries and she lost her first husband. He was martyred for his faith and then she, I believe, lost her second husband as well. So she was widowed twice, but she said, the secret is Christ in me, not a different set of circumstances. Christ in you. And being in denial about the fact that you're in pain doesn't make it go away. If you're just like the Sunday morning Christian, you know, like, bless God, everything is wonderful. Can I tell you something? It's okay to not be wonderful and that God can only heal what you bring into the light. If you're not going to give it to him, like if you're going to just hold on to it and not share it, he puts you in community for a reason. You need a safe place where you can say, hey, I'm not okay. I, I, I mean, and it also depends on your attitude. It's not like I hate everything and my life is awful. That's probably not the right way to say it, but it's something like I feel a lot, a lot of anger and hate right now. And I would like for you to pray with me because I want to give that to the Lord. Like you've got to be seeking to go in the right direction. And he will do a miracle for you. All emotions are okay. All the feelings are okay. All actions are not okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like God is not afraid of your sadness, of your anger, of your whatever. But what are you going to do with it? He wants to set you free from it. And he wants to heal your heart. I love this verse in John Chapter 11, when Jesus came, he had a friend named Lazarus. And his friend Lazarus, who he loved dearly, the Bible says, died. And the story goes on that Jesus raises him from the dead after he had been dead for four days, which is super awesome. And it was such a big miracle. But how many of you all know that Jesus knew that that was going to happen? Like, the Bible even says, like, he waited longer to not go to Lazarus so that there would be a greater miracle. Instead of healing him from the sick, he wanted to raise him from the dead. So all of that was true. Like, God, Jesus knew that there was going to be victory at the end. But still, I want to read it to you. In um, John chapter 11, Jesus experienced sadness even though he knew the victory was coming. It says in verse 32, when Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, and Mary was Lazarus' sister, by the way, she fell at his feet in tears and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all her friends who were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. That's how Jesus sees you. When you're grieving. And he said to them, where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. Then tears streamed down Jesus' face. Jesus wept 
for the sister of Lazarus, for Lazarus, for the people that were grieving, even though he knew there was going to be a victory. All that to say grieving is okay. Grieving is biblical. Even if you know you're going to see your loved one in heaven, you're still experiencing loss here on earth, and you don't have to pretend like everything's okay if you've lost someone. Psalm 34:18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. There's something that just attracts him because he knows that he's the only answer. He's the one who can comfort and heal you. So in those times, draw near to him. Don't grieve without hope. The Bible says that those that grieve without hope, that's because they don't know God. They don't know that there's life after death. They don't know that there is a God that can restore all things, that can make broken things whole again, that can give beauty for ashes. So they grieve without hope. But when we grieve, we have hope because we know if it's not good, he's not done. And he will bring a victory out of this situation. Although he didn't cause it, he will turn all things together for good for those who love him. Even though we don't understand, we trust him. Biblical hope is a joyful anticipation of good. And to be able to do that in the midst of a tragedy is a miracle. It's a miracle. And it's a choice that we get to make. I want to just talk to you, and again, this might not apply to all of you, and it's so funny how that altar call was this morning. But I want to talk to you about if, what to do or how to navigate a season of loss things that have helped me, things that have helped our family. First of all, I want to say that I'm sorry if people say dumb things. They don't mean it. They're probably trying to help, and they might say something that hurts. But we're trying to be there for you. So if we say something that makes things worse, just forgive. Like, and if you're not in pain, don't say things like, don't worry, because one day this will be a testimony. That doesn't make things better right then. When a person is hurting, they're like, okay, so God is allowing me to go through this just so that I can one day have a testimony. Like, that does not help how I'm feeling right now. Or things like, God sent you this because he knew you could handle it. That doesn't help either. And God didn't send it. So we need to learn what to say. Like, speak the word of God or otherwise just maybe shush. Like, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> it's okay to just sit in silence when somebody is mourning. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sharing this just because we're a church family, and there are seasons when we need to learn to be there for one another. It's okay if you don't know what to say. And hey, if we say the wrong thing, please forgive us. We didn't mean to. Like I mentioned earlier, life is rarely all happy, we're all sad. But Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Even in our own church family, we might have a lot of rejoicing and the happiest day ever for some people and a really time of loss and grieving for other people. And God wants us to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice because we all suffer together and we all rejoice together. That's what happens when we're part of a body of believers. So if you find yourself in a season of heartache, first of all, if you're walking through the path of healing, the path of finding your footing again, disrupt the myth that joy can only be found in a pain-free life. You can still have fun before your heart is healed. Sometimes we think, well, life will never be normal again. Yeah, it might not, but you will find joy one day. But until then, don't stop everything. You can have fun, throw a party, do whatever it is before your heart is fully healed. Sometimes I think 
because I, I was listening to this lady who had had a stroke and she's in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. I mean, if she was going to wait to have fun until she was done with all her physical disabilities and sickness, she can't have fun till she's in heaven. We have to learn to hold both things at the same time. And even though you're in a season of difficulty, you might just need to throw a party. You might just do something fun. Treat yourself. I don't know. Girls, go get your nails done. Like, whatever it is. I'm not saying you have to, but I'm saying don't wait because life is never perfect. Stop believing the lie that God can't use you until you're perfectly healed and you're on the other side of this thing. You're on assignment, and even in the time of your suffering, your story is blazing a trail for others. You can be fruitful in your season of suffering. You can help others in your season of suffering. You can grow roots deep in the season of your suffering, even though you're not seeing it up here, it's like the winter of your soul, but that's when those roots go down deep into the ground. You'll see it again the next summer if you allow yourself to grow. You can offer thanksgiving and joy to God in a different way than you can at any other time because it's a sacrifice of praise. You have to choose to give him praise because he's worthy, not because of all the good things that are happening in your life right then. Be a living survival guide to others. Like be willing to help others with anything that you have learned because there will be other people that are in the same place you've been and they're looking for a way out. And even if you're just like two steps further down the road, be like, hey, this worked for me. Here's the scripture that I stood on. Now do this. And oh, here, look, this is the grief group that I went to. This is the counselor that I found. And then these are the prayers that I prayed. Show somebody else how to get out. Cultivate a ridiculous gratitude for whatever is good in your life. Like out of proportion. If the sky is blue, be thankful. Like find something to be thankful for. Don't set your compass in a storm. Like if life is just, I'm talking turmoil, don't make all sorts of decisions. Just hunker down, stay the path, and when things calm down, then you can ask for wisdom if you're needing to set a new direction in your life. Recognize and accept the season you're in. Don't be in denial. And then decide to do the hard work that it's going to take to get out of there. Because God wants to partner with you in that process. It's kind of like if you're struggling with addiction. If you pray this prayer like, God, take away all my desire for whatever it is, and then I will stop. Well, he might not. He might need you to use some self-discipline, and then he will help you. It's the same if you've gone through trauma. You're like, God, take it all away. And sometimes he does miraculously in an instant, but sometimes he's like, yeah, and these are the steps that I've set up for you. You need to go to Freedom Track. You need to find a counselor. You need to go for prayer. You need to find yourself in church. Whatever those steps are, take yourself up off the mat and go do them. Whatever you feel led to do, go do it. And don't view life through your lens of fear or pain. We heal in his presence, and we heal in community. So spend as much time with Jesus as you can, and then don't isolate. Shame dies when stories are told in safe places. Whatever your story is, when you find a safe place to share that, and for some of you, you are people people, and you want like everybody to hear your story. For some of you, you just need to find one person that you can trust with your pain, and that's okay. We're all different, but we cannot live isolated. Some people, like Brad mentioned earlier, need to find a therapist. Prayer is a weapon, but I think a good Christian counselor is like strategy, okay? They work in tandem. 
And sometimes you need the wisdom of somebody from a godly perspective. Like, please be mindful of what counsel you seek. We need inner healing prayers, freedom curriculum. And we need to refuse to live in a victim mentality. Because it's so easy to just start being jealous of everybody else's life and how good their life seems. And me, this stuff happened to me, and I just don't know if I'll ever get out of this, and blah, blah, blah. And the more we do that, instead of choosing to be thankful, even if it's just that the sky is blue, or if it's raining, be like, wow, we needed rain. Like, be grateful. That's the antidote for feeling like a victim. Galatians 6, 5, I love this. In the message version, do not compare yourself with others. That means don't compare your circumstances either. Like, don't be jealous their life seems better. You don't know what they're going through. And even if their life is amazing, don't compare yourself. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your life. You've been given your life, not his life, not her life. Do your best with what you've been given because that is where God will meet you. Whatever the stuff you're going through. I want to give you quick five practical steps. And it's so funny because I think Brad mentioned two of them in the altar call. So again, we did not take notes. But five things if you're like, I don't know how to get out. I want to give you just these things. First of all, listen to the sermon. And I have a QR code that's going to come up here behind me. I'm going to move over to the side. How about that? So you can scan it. Breaking the Bread of My Soul by Bill Johnson. It was a message that he preached, I believe, three days after his wife passed away, and it has so much gold, like probably one of the most impactful messages that I've ever heard in my life. We were there for um, his wife's funeral and hearing the story of how as soon as she went into glory, when she passed over to the other side, her children were around her and they all started singing worship songs. And just... The soul surrender, the joy in mourning that Pastor Bill had found is tremendous. So that'll help you. The second step is Christian counseling. This is a counseling center that we recommend as a church. It's Christian counselors only, and they take insurance, which is rare. So they take even Medicaid. Scan that. If you, you know, the link doesn't work for some reason or you have trouble, please just fill out a connect card and let us know. We can even refer you because we have a partnership with them, but we can send them a name of somebody in our church that's needing counseling, or you can reach out to them directly. But there are people that can help you. The third step, get in community. Again, don't isolate. So join a U group here. If you're not in a U group, this might sound simple, but if you're just sitting at home without any friends, without Christian community, who's going to be there to lift you up when you're having a bad day? We need each other. So sign up for a U group. There's that link. The fourth one, sign up for Freedom Track. Ta-da! I know we're about to finish our Freedom Track semester, but there's another one coming in the spring. The registration is already live, so you go there, you sign up. This will help you because it'll walk through steps like forgiveness and breaking through generational curses, whatever your circumstance is. And then lastly, and this is very simple, it has no QR code, it's find your person of hope. I want to encourage you to find somebody that has been through what you're going through, that has 
come to the other side and you see them walking in victory, you see them walking with a whole heart, you see them walking in a healing miracle, whatever it is that you're facing, you see them having grieved a loss and become joyful on the other side, find somebody like that. So that you can be like, that's going to be me one day. And then go and ask them, how did you get there? Would you help me? Because I'm not there yet, but I want to be there. I want to have faith. I just had a miscarriage. I don't know how you walked through that season of grief. Help me. Whatever it is, that's why we have each other. Find somebody that's further along. And know that healing is not linear. It's like this. And sometimes it might take a minute, but God promises that he will comfort those who mourn and he'll give beauty for ashes and a seed that falls into the ground will bear much fruit. I'm sure of this. God never ends the story with ashes. He never does. So whatever it is, you might think God cannot make beauty out of the pieces that you're holding, but next thing you know, he's just putting them together in a gorgeous mosaic, painting a picture for his glory, not for our glory, but for his namesake. Next thing you know, he's using your story to minister to others and you become somebody's person of hope. God doesn't cause our suffering. He doesn't like when we have to go through hard things. He weeps with us just like he wept with Mary when she was mourning the loss of her brother. And he desires to comfort those who mourn and bring victory. And for me, the biggest thing is just letting go of the why. There's some stuff that's happened in our lives that I'm like, this does not even make sense. I, I didn't see it coming. I, I don't understand. But God is so good. And in the middle of that, his presence is what brings the change, not me ruminating and trying to figure out how to fix it or why it happened. I want you to hop up on your feet. We don't like so much to talk about this. You know, I'd rather give this happy message, but it's the crushing of an olive that brings out the oil and the oil is the anointing. There's the crushing of the grape that brings new wine. There is something that God can do when we're in a season of crushing if we surrender it to him because a seed can either be planted in the ground or it could just be thrown away and wasted and not bring a harvest. So if you're walking through a season of suffering or if you're walking through a hard thing, if you have a broken heart this morning or 10 years from now, don't waste that seed, but give it to God to plant in the garden of your life so that you can reap a harvest. Because you're going to go through that hard thing with God or without God, surrendered to him or fighting him. And my prayer for all of us is that we would allow God to do miraculous things in every single circumstance. So it's time to give God our disappointment. Sometimes I think that's the biggest thing. It's just we're disappointed how things turned out. We didn't think it was going to be this way. Maybe you thought you'd be married. Maybe you thought you'd have children. Maybe you thought this job was going to work out or you moved someplace or whatever it is. Do you trust God with your disappointment? Because God is good. If you've experienced pain or abuse at the hands of others and you're living in the aftermath, do you trust God enough to give him your broken pieces? If you've lost a loved one, 
For me, the worst thing would be losing a child, and I know friends who have. It's heartbreaking. Or a sibling or a parent. God gave his only son. He knows the pain of loss. And Jesus bore all our grief and sorrow and he weeps with you. The word of God says that he takes every single tear that we cry and he puts it in a bottle. It's not wasted. I think the tears is what waters the seed that goes into the ground. And then God comforts. Isaiah 61. I'm going to read a few portions of it says about Jesus, he says, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Nothing is wasted. What is empty can be filled. What is broken can be mended. What is divided can be multiplied, and what is dead can even live again because of Jesus. He's so good. He is so good. And I think to be able to sing songs that we sang in the beginning of this service that says that Jesus has won it all and declaring the victory and the lordship of Jesus is so much more powerful when you're in that season of crushing because you're choosing to not look at yourself and your circumstances but say, God, I love you and I trust you. It doesn't matter. I know you're the only one who's going to get me through this and I choose to give you praise in this moment. And that is a weapon that brings healing. Psalm 126 says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I just want you to stand in this moment, just close your eyes. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I just want you to do business with God. And if you need to give him your why, if you need to give him your disappointment, if you need to give him your sorrow, your heartache, your trauma, your unforgiveness, just to take that next step in allowing him to be the one that you trust in, regardless of your circumstances right now, regardless of what your life has looked like. If you've held something against God, even though he didn't do anything, I need you to just forgive him and release him. Just because in your heart, you're holding him responsible when he did not want that for you. And I can tell you, God is good and God is real and he is faithful. All the days of my life, he has been faithful. In the good times, in the bad times, he is faithful. And if you can and when you can, when you're done, praying with him, just join in as we sing this chorus of declaring the faithfulness of God. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.